This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. The, the law enforcement were punching in the dark to, to find this guy and um, or multiple assailants they didn't know. So they put the whole city in lockdown. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking. And this week we are talking about Emma, the emergency management assistant. And Rob Gurdy from... New Zealand is the CEO of this great organization, and it's an AI product that's just really kind of cool, which helps keep people and emergency managers with situational awareness. Before I uh, get into the interview, I, I would really like to just wish everybody a happy new year, and I hope that your Christmas and Hanukkah and holiday season was was very special. This time of year is, this is kind of my favorite time of year. And I never really ask for anything, but I like to give. And my, one of my favorite things to give are, are books. And I just look for, for books that are meaningful and are, you know, going to help people, I suppose, in, in certain ways. And that's what I love to give, you know. This year was a very special for me because this is the first year that I got to uh, be part of the Titan HST holiday uh, festival that they had. <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I just want to thank uh, Vic and Serene over at Titan HST for uh, having uh, on the team. And also I want to thank uh, Brian Colburn uh, for all the work that he's doing with Ian Weekly, uh, doing the, uh, the editing and, and whatnot for us. And, and uh, without him, uh, he's the backbone of this uh, uh, great adventure that we were taking on here because he's done a lot of the backside stuff and it's, it's been great having him um, be part of this and I can't believe that we are starting our fourth season it's amazing so I'm really looking forward to it um, I'm going to do an end of the year wrap up uh, next week and we'll talk a little bit more about this but I just kind of wanted to say thank you and happy holidays and Happy New Year. Now on to the interview. Rob, welcome to EM Weekly. Yay, thanks, Todd. We're uh, talking to you today a little bit about uh, artificial intelligence and emergency management and some of the things that you guys are doing over there in New Zealand. The company yep. that you have is Situate Me. Can you tell me a little bit about Situate Me and, and uh, how it uh, plays into emergency management? Sure. Well, thanks. Um, so, look, our, our big uh, raison d'etre, if you like, is around uh, helping emergency managers make better decisions faster. And the way that we go about that is um, particularly focusing on crowdsourcing citizen intelligence in emergencies. And, and we do that by utilizing artificial intelligence uh, and primarily uh, chatbot interfaces um, across a number of kind of technology platforms and channels. Because that allows us to basically gather information at a scale and a speed that's just never been done before. So, so that's kind of 
that's our that's our raison d'etre, and from there we basically we, we focus on on being useful and being helpful in the EOC um, with with our technology. So one of the things that uh, we found when we're looking at your at your company and, and what you guys are doing is your uh, working with animals. How did you guys move in from like doing AI stuff into managing like you know animals uh, after a disaster? Sure. Well, it's a it's an interesting story, and, and I just I guess a bit about my background. So um, I was a former military officer and and uh, was involved in the Red Cross in my university days. Um, and in 2011, uh, there was a Christchurch earthquake uh, in the South Island of New Zealand, um, loss of 185 lives. Um, and I was involved as a Red Cross operations manager in that. And um, we, we basically had the situation back then where there was a need for us to establish what was going on on the ground. And um, and the, the emergency controllers were like, you know, able to see the acute cases popping up all the time, as you do. But... They really didn't know how many people were okay, how many people were just getting on with it. And so they sent us out to basically door knock every house uh, in the eastern suburbs of Christchurch, which took um, three days, hundreds of volunteers uh, armed with clipboards and paper. And um, during that time, there were aftershocks. No one got revisited. You know, if you weren't there when we knocked on the door, we missed you. And I saw all that uh, paper and all that information come back into the EOC and basically, and, and understandably, it, it just all went into an archive box. And you know, acute cases were dealt with on the doorstep as they were um, discovered, but we didn't really have the ability to do that. So so from there, I mean, I actually kind of you know, put that thought away and at the time thought, you know, with a bit of technology and a bit of planning, I'm sure we could do this better. And um, fast forward like seven years to, to last year, we were involved in a, a innovation startup weekend, a, a Techstars startup weekend in Wellington, the capital here in New Zealand. Um, and it was actually sponsored by the New Zealand Defence Force, so like the DOD equivalent. And um, and we won that with Situate Me. And we brought this together by bringing the, the technology around uh, artificial intelligence and chatbots uh, into this space. And and for us, to um, we focused initially on uh, human welfare and the ability for a chatbot to provide a really simple interface for people to provide um, a self-assessment of their own welfare needs. And we were able to then capture that in real time and display it into a common operating picture. Um, and, and that was the genesis of it. And, and from there, you know, our heads just exploded with the, uh, the possibilities. So, so where we've subsequently gone is um, still uh, primarily focused in human welfare, but one of the things that was abundantly clear to us, and uh, back in February this year, bearing in mind that's our summertime, we had a um, one of New Zealand's largest um, fires, uh, Teapot Valley in the Nelson region, top of the South Island. Uh, and it's an area that is um, semi-rural and has a lot of lifestyle farms, hobby farms. Um, and uh, it was quite a, a vicious, fast fire, and people had to evacuate very quickly. And um, they left a lot of animals unattended. And uh, it was the main issue that was reported um, beyond anything else was the issue around animal welfare. And what was abundantly clear to us uh, on the periphery of that operation was understanding that there's a real issue about uh, having that situational awareness of where unattended animals were. And um, and we took this opportunity and we actually picked it up and ran with it with one of our um, large uh, municipalities uh, here in New Zealand. Um, 
and there are animal control people, aka the dog catchers. And, and the fact is that um, you know domestic pets in an emergency are a massive uh, issue that has to be addressed. And um, you know, after uh, you know assuring yourself of the safety of friends, family, and loved ones, um, people the, the the highest cause of anxiety we we argue is is going to be people worrying about their pets, their livestock, farmers. You know that link of animal husbandry. Um, they really care about those animals, mm-hmm. and so the the ability for them to communicate with the authorities and say, "Hey, my animal's unattended. Uh, it, it needs looking after in this emergency." Um, goes some way to helping them feel that something positive can be done about it. Yeah, we just had a fire here in Los Angeles County um, a couple of weeks ago, and. Uh, the Probably news, just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, a couple of them actually, but uh, the one of them, um, the media picked up on the horses that they had, and and they really, it was interesting, and and uh, to think about not just the the connection that you have with your animal, but the the cost of these animals that you're taking care of, and and the price, you know, it's also economic as well. So uh, it's very interesting that you oh, guys sure. are taking a look at that. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've had interest from veterinary scientists, um, and yeah, you know, there's a whole whole uh, sector of of animal professionals that um, see some great scope in this as well. So you guys developed um, Emma, right? And I look at you on their website; it's yeah. a kind of a cool system. It's a twenty four seven disaster assistant or emergency management assistant. Is what Emma yep. really stands for. Walk me through that, and and yeah, how does that work? Yeah, so so um, basically it, it sits here in the public cloud, and um, and what we're able to do. So so there's a couple of fundamentals, um, and, and I talked about my experience with the Red Cross and the Christchurch earthquake. Um, one of the other um, kind of sentinel experiences for me was um, I was actually in Wellington when the quake struck uh, in a different city, and uh, the next morning they um, evacuated by C-130 Hercules 1100 foreign national tourists out of out of Christchurch into Wellington. Um, and and I was there in a Red Cross uniform when these people walked off the, the back of the Herc. And uh, it was apparent to us, like, straight away, they didn't know, like, this organisation, the, the FEMA equivalent in New Zealand is uh, MCDEM or Civil Defence. They didn't know Civil Defence existed. They didn't know the Hazard app was a thing that you could download and stick on your phone. It was like... They had no background, but they were thoroughly stuck in the middle of this emergency. So, so one of the key principles that we developed very early on is that we're not an app. And actually, there are some inherent problems often when you uh, create apps because you have to convince people to download them and <laughs> right, right. you end up downloading it. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's a contingent app, right? It's an app that you don't want to use. It's not one that you're using every day. So it's like, I'm going to give up some space on my phone, which is like, you know, gold dust. Uh, for something that I may need to use in the future, just it really doesn't happen, or it struggles. You struggle to to convince people, so then you have to get them to download it. You have to probably convince them to sign up on it, and then actually in the event you actually have to convince them to use it. So fundamentally for us in our design approach to this was to go actually nothing to download, nothing to sign up for. You know you have a spontaneous need in an emergency. We have a spontaneous solution to, to um, serve that. So what we do is we have um, the, the bot, we have a, a snippet of, of code that can basically be deployed onto any um, emergency website, uh, basically all emergency websites. You, know, you could have um, 
uh, you know, the, the authorities, uh, the FEMAs and, and, and Homeland Security type um, things, uh, local government, federal government websites. You could have NGOs like Red Cross and, and what have you. You could have faith-based support um, organizations like the Salvation Army and, and others. Um, they can all put that bit of code on their, on their own page. So whatever preference people have for going to it, um, that bot is there to pop up and go, hi, I'm Emma, the emergency management assistant. I'm here to basically um, understand what your situation is in the emergency. You know, let's start with your location. Let, you know, how many people are with you. And then let's go through a basic needs assessment, you know, kind of shelter, food, water, sanitation, safety, et cetera. And we can capture all that in real time because it all goes and sits in the, in the cloud for us. And we're able to then um, push that onto a, a dashboard or a, Integrate it into someone's um, common operating picture within an EOC. So, so that's kind of how it works. We can also deploy that on social media channels. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure there are other social media <laughs> platforms, but let's take Facebook Messenger as, as just one example. Um, you know, you can go to your um, to Facebook Messenger and to your uh, local authority's um, Facebook account on Messenger. And Emma can pop up, and you know, I mean, there is no educational burden to overcome to teach people how to use Facebook Messenger, for example. They're using it, you know, a hundred times a day sometimes. Right. So um, they can they can interact with it, and it's it's intuitive. Um, I mean, there's a whole uh, whole aspect of it, Todd, that really um, interests me is um, the the nature of the conversation because you don't have people in a normal state in the middle of an emergency. Mm. Yeah, they're in that adrenal state, um, as psychologists refer to it. And, and then eventually they can uh, move to what's referred to as a cortisol state. So, but And that, that has some real significant impacts on their cognitive functioning. So, um, you know, the fact that uh, you've got organizations moving from paper to digitizing forms, and this, you, you kind of show that form to a member of the public, and it's got... 54 questions on it and they haven't slept for like 36 hours they're like whoa and or they'll do that thing where they fill it fill it all in and on the last question um you know the the they lose everything and have to start again and then they absolutely lose everything figuratively and literally right and um so the whole nature of the conversation is like you know hi i'm emma i'm going to ask you a simple question you're going to give me a simple answer um, we really try to eliminate the use of free text um, because it creates a processing overhead. Um, so, and, and, and actually it creates a processing overhead in the brain of the person who's in the middle of an emergency feeling really stressed. So we go, hey, um, how would you rate your shelter on a one to five scale? One is I have no shelter at all. Five is I'm, you know, fine, you know, nothing to worry about. Um, so they're able to do that. And, and what it does is... Um, Allows us to rapidly draw a picture of um, the, you know, the, the the common intelligence picture, the kit, effectively from a, a military kind of C C four kind of point of view of of what's going on, what the ground truth is. I mean, it's not necessarily the detailed analysis, and and we've learned as we've journeyed through this uh, development process as well. Um, uh, one example, I, I have a friend who's a, a dairy farmer here in New Zealand, and I sent her one of the early versions of our bot, and I, I, it asked her the question, how many, um, how much water do you have in uh, litres, well, yeah, gallons kind of thing? And she came back and said 30,000 because she's got water tanks on her farm. <laughs> and then, um, and, and it's like, actually, we don't need to know if it's 30,000. We just need to know if it's enough water. Um, so, so actually, just I've got enough water I haven't. You know, if we say, actually, for a family of four, you need... 54 litres of water for three days or mm -hmm. something. Do you have 
at least that or not, you know, yes, no. Um, and then and then the other thing we did was um, after she said she had 30,000 litres of water, we said, oh, and here's a way you can purify water if you need it. And she's like, dude, listen to me. I just, I've got 30,000 litres. I'm good. You know, don't ask me questions. I, I don't need the answer. <laughs> right. So, so that, that was another thing, right? So we're able to like, rather than to go through a whole, you know, nebulous um, list of stuff, like, you know, here's everything you need to know about an emergency. Well, the reality is, as a member of the public, I'm good for nine out of 10 things. One thing I want to understand is, you know, um, where I can fill my gas bottle or what my evacuation route out of town is or, or something like that. So, so um, it, we just we use that conditional questioning to focus in on the area that that person really needs either help with, so we get the most information out of them around that area, or where they need the most information, so we're able to actually play back to them because it's a two way conversation. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there. How uh, how real time are the are the answers? I mean, I've I've dealt with some bots in the past. And then um, every once in a while, I, I try to see if I'm really talking to a human or not, and I'll ask them like an off the wall, off the wall question, and then, then I know it's a bot when it's like, uh, you know, it gives me a weird answer, it doesn't answer the question. Um, is Emma able sure. to to answer off the wall questions if it needs to? Um, no, we've, to be honest with you, no. What what we've done is we've structured it. So, so there are effectively two kinds of bots in the world. Um, one's a ask me anything kind of bot, which is you know, basically the, the user asks the question, the bot has to try and field the answer. And the, the other one is a, is a Q&A type bot where the bot asks the question and the, the user provides the answer. And we've oh, okay, gotcha. um, focused on the latter because um, there's less uh, randomness in the, in the whole process to deal with. But um, what we, what we uh, are doing is um, where there is the opportunity for um, free text, and, and, and we do, you know, allow people to for example personal safety if it says um i don't i don't feel safe we, we then go well would you care to like tell us why um we can pick up on intents in that so you know there could be a number of like um self-harm suicide type uh trigger words which uh we would look out for in in the response and if that was to trigger then we can obviously uh, escalate that, uh, provide them, uh, you know, ship them across to a specialised resource who could perhaps deal with that more effectively. Um, so we we are a triage and we're able to pick up on some of those things, but primarily we've we've kept it simple. You know, there there is beauty and simplicity that the bot asks a question, like if you were door knocking uh, and and doing a welfare assessment, you know, as the the responder, you'd be asking the questions of the person that'd be providing the answers. Um, and we, we do provide a kind of FAQ-type facility, obviously. Um, if I don't have enough water, yeah, here's how you can purify some water or find some water in your house. Or, um, you know, here's, a, here's some tips about um, moving in floodwaters. You know, don't, don't uh, get out of your vehicle, that kind of stuff. Um, so, so that's the other thing is um, one of the things we found in, uh, here in New Zealand was uh, our civil defence FEMA equivalent had like a, a 54 question um, welfare set of questions, and um, and they just threw that set of questions at everything. So for us, we've actually um, kind of specialised. Uh, you know, we have a, a wildfire bot, we have a flood bot, snowstorm, cyclone, earthquake, particularly earthquake because mm-hmm. we're on the ring of fire, uh, like like your good self. Um, right. And um, and then we and we have a bunch of so we're able to like. Um, I mean, the, the fundamental things around kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and going, you know, what 
those things are fundamentally always there. But um, yeah, there's a really interesting uh, thing around we learned from our Australian cousins around uh, wildfires about um, you know here's some information: put some tennis balls in the downpipes of your um, your guttering on your roof and fill your roof with water because um, most houses catch fire in Australian bushfires from ash falling on the roof, gathering right. in the gutters, forming a critical mass and send fire to it. And, that, and apparently, like New Zealanders, we don't have as many fires as Australians do. So we, so then we like learn this, and it's like, wow, well, that's a really easy tip. You know, we can just deliver that to someone, uh, and it, so it becomes personalised. And, and then we've been able to like break out beyond the actual uh, just basic emergency stuff into some more kind of interesting use cases as well. Um, and we've uh, we've demoed uh, one around spontaneous volunteer registration. So um, yeah, this this is an increasing phenomenon. That the idea that, um, as I describe it, you know, this generation doesn't want to turn up on a Tuesday night and polish the fire engine for six years as a volunteer. They see something happening. They want to be involved. Right. And, and it's spontaneous. So, and and we, there are great examples. I think you guys uh, had uh, the Creole Navy or something happening around um, yeah. Katrina. Yeah, uh, the Cajun, the yeah, Cajun yeah. Navy. Yeah, so that was it. There you go. There you go. Um, and and it is uh, Christchurch earthquake where the student volunteer army, ten thousand volunteers spontaneously turning up. Um, the 2010 Brisbane floods in Australia had uh, the mud army of 25,000 spontaneous volunteers. Um, now that is great, but also that's a massive problem um, around how to deal with that. So, uh, what we've created is spontaneous volunteer registration. Someone can go on, register their details. Uh, we can geotag where they are again. I mean, the fundamental key to all of this is being able to provide that visual management in the EOC on a map, who's where, um, and then we can um, assign them to roles. We can deliver uh, induction briefs and videos and rich content through their device. Um, and, you know, we can give them a list of PPE, for example, to, you know, hey, here's some things you might want to bring from home, uh, you know, gloves, boots, water bottle, whatever, um, and, and allows them to turn up, you know, registered, inducted, ready to go. Um, we can also do great things around, um, you know, different roles. Like, yeah, I, I want to, I want to be a driver. Okay. Um, can you take a photo of your driver's license and just upload it, you know, like, Take a photo in the messenger conversation, just like you would share a picture on Facebook Messenger. And then all of a sudden, the authorities have an audit trail of the fact that when they crashed the truck and you're, you're having the inquiry afterwards, it's like, did you establish they had a driver's license? Yes, sir, we did. It's on file because right. they uploaded it. And if they hadn't uploaded it, it wouldn't have been allowed to happen. So so that was that was a really interesting kind of other area we did. We've... Um, We've also uh, got some interest from our federal agencies here in New Zealand around um, biosecurity. Um, so, so for us, our um, agricultural export industry is is a primary industry for New Zealand's uh, economic welfare, and um, and we maintain our borders really strictly. So, um, the ability to to have people report um, a marmorated stink bug or a Queensland fruit fly or a potential foot and mouth outbreak. Um, uh, from from their device, you know, upload a photo of that kind of funny looking fly that's on my piece of fruit, um, and then it can go back and it can be assessed, and, and all of a sudden we've got a, an image, we've geotagged the image, we've got a person we can contact, and we can speed that process up. Um, the thing around foot and mouth outbreaks um, across farms, you know, the actual um, authorities doing the farm visits to establish that 
is a potential vector for transmission of the disease itself. So the fact that we can go, hey, farmers all have smartphones and are pretty adept at using those, um, they can send photos in and, and get information on the fly when they're standing in their stockyards um, is another really helpful aspect. And, and we also have um, one around uh, law enforcement and the active shooter um, kind of scenario. Um, uh, we refer to it as the lockdown bot. Um, and that was uh, triggered for us out of the unfortunate events of the Christchurch mosque shooting right. um, that happened earlier this year as well. And uh, yeah, we had a scenario there where um, because the uh, alleged assailant was highly mobile, he'd actually uh, been active in two sites across different sides of town. Um, they were really the, the law enforcement were punching in the dark to, to find this guy and um, or multiple assailants they didn't know. So they put the whole city in lockdown, and um, you know, then you start kind of have these questions pop into into your head. You know, how many people are in the, in the central city right now? Um, where are they? Where's the center of mass of people? Um, you know, who's well exposed? Who's not? Um, and you know, I mean, it's it, it's a terrible reality, right? But in that scenario, had uh, the two uh, police officers not. Uh, miraculously apprehended him in his vehicle traveling across town, um, the reality was they were probably waiting for another incident right. uh, to kick off. Let's take a quick break right now, and uh, when we get back, I want to talk to you a little bit more um, about the bot and, and how that would work with that, uh, like the actual shooter situation. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Welcome back from that quick break, and thank you so much for listening to our sponsors, and, and please reach out to them and let them know that you heard them here on Ian Weekly, because without them, we could not bring you great content like we did. So before we went on, on the on the break, you, were, you mentioned that um, the New Zealand shooting um, with the police officers being able to uh, apprehend the the guy kind of in a in a just almost by luck, uh, we've had a, we had that situation with the uh, with the Oklahoma City bombing, and also we had a situation where we had the entire city locked down, pretty much in, in in the Boston area after the Boston bombing. So it seems like it's a regular practice for for us to, when I say us, the you know law enforcement agencies, to kind of happenstance around uh, among the people, even though we're doing a search for them. How would that bot help out with that search? Sure. So um, there's a couple of things. It's about providing intelligence into the decision makers in the operations center. And so uh, one thing it's able to do is to give a feel for a real-time view of where the population is at that given time. You know, um, Often you've based it on historical models. You know, How many people would be in that shopping mall right now? 
we don't know, but, but the chances are you, know, you could get that information in real time. Um, but one of the other things is the ability um, to then uh, provide information to people, um, like advice on, you know, uh, stay out, take cover, you know, go into the back of the shop or wherever, um, you know, all the, unfortunately, Todd, you know, New Zealand doesn't have this happen every day and, and all those drills about lockdown things um, aren't front of mind for us. But the idea of, yeah, was it fight and all that kind of stuff, um, you can obviously convey that to people at the time and, and reconnect them with what those drills are and, and trigger that muscle memory. Um, but it's also the ability for people to um, report potential sightings. And, and there is obviously a propensity for a lot of false positives there. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, if you're a, in a, a stressful active shooter situation, everyone that walks past that window it was probably, you know, you're going to think that they were a gunman or something. <laughs> but we can attach algorithms to that. Um, and, and this is not to, um, this doesn't take away from like calling 911 and, and those kind of things. It provides an extra intelligence gathering capability. So, you know, um, do you, do you think there is a threat in your area? Yes or no? So simple answer. Yes. Okay. I know that because I've heard gunshots. I've heard screams. Someone in authority told me so. I've heard a rumor. I've seen them, you know, and, and you could start to like, and then, and then again, it's a simple pick one of those kind of answers. Um, and from an intelligence point of view, the, you know, the maturity of the decision makers to go, yeah, we're going to expect a lot of false positives. And we're going to see these things popping up all over the city if we don't know where the, the gunman is if they're highly mobile. But, you know, when we start seeing 20 or 30 of them stack up all at once and, you know, the, the waiting is because they have heard gunshots or they've seen them or, or uh, you know, a law enforcement officer has told them that there's someone around the corner, then there's an opportunity to react to that. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but the alternative could be reacting to body count and that's a horrible thing and anything we can do to provide just some kind of intelligence. I I mean, I really felt for uh, law enforcement in the Christchurch mosque shooting because they were like, we we don't know. We we, we want information and there's just a lack of it. And um, it was really interesting actually. Hey, I've got to plug your, the podcast I listened to the other day about the only plane in the sky and your interview there where, you know, it was all over in 102 minutes, but they spent the rest of the day not knowing, you know, right. that, it's that I, I want more information. Give me a better picture. Help me, help me get to that decision threshold faster. Um, and so, so that's where it can help in that respect. And, you know, we, the Washington Post did an article. I think it was, uh, 4.2 million students were in active lockdowns in 2018, 16 a day. Um, and these were, this is not a drill. You know, obviously, Thankfully, lots of false uh, f- false uh, activations, um, but sadly, some of them weren't. Um, but yeah, there's, it, it's massive, and, and we also kind of see um, things like uh, security on uh, university campuses. We'll be able to use this tool because um, they're typically you know, under-resourced, managing a large group of people across quite a diverse campus. Um, and you know, if you're a visitor to the campus, you haven't downloaded an app because you're just visiting, but you know. You could go to the local law enforcement page whilst you were taking cover in a lockdown, or you could go to you know, the the university um, landing page and the bots there. And you're like, yeah, I'm I'm in the science lab with 20 other people. Um, we've got good cover from the windows. We're in the back. We're locked down. Um, and and the other really powerful thing about this also, Todd, was um, 
this bot conversation is a one-to-one conversation between a member of the public and the authorities. Um, if we don't have this, what's the alternative? And it's often that people will go on social media and go, oh my God, I'm in a lockdown right now. There's me and 20 other people in the back of the science lab on the campus. Right. And they're basically broadcasting that and clear, right? And, right. and you know, everyone, everyone can see that. And so, um, you know, you can extrapolate this to go, actually, we've got an active threat in that area. Um, Officer Jones jumps on the chat and goes, hi, um, stay where you are. Um, you know, we, we've got a, we've got a SWAT team about to storm the building, stay low, stay on the ground, it's going to happen soon. Um, the ability to communicate with them, ring them, you know, the ability to go, um, we need some photos of the inside of where you are for our, for our tactical response. And you're messaging that back to the authorities on a one-to-one basis, not posting them on Facebook. Right. Like say. Um, so you know, there, there's some really powerful stuff there. And like, I, I don't for a moment profess to, to be an expert of this, but we think it's something that's worth investigating. And we think if it can be helpful, then we want to provide it. And, and if it's not, then that's okay. We think there are a lot of other great uses for this use of uh, artificial intelligence in, in the emergency space that could be really useful anyway. How would somebody find you? Um, so we're on uh, we're online on situateme.com, um, and uh, yeah, it's there. There's some basic stuff. Um, really happy to have someone reach out. But also, you, know, you can find us on LinkedIn and and on Facebook. Actually, if you go to Facebook Messenger and put in Situate Me, uh, or one word, um, Emma, the bot will pop up. You know, and you can be interacting with her right now and check her out. We kind of spin bots up there all the time and. Uh, and, and we're getting feedback all the time, and it, it's really great. And, and that's the thing about us. We're, we're not trying to run up and down ladders and deliver first aid and everything else. We're just working on making emergency management bots really, really useful. So um, we're wanting to continually test and tune that stuff. So that, that's where you'd find us. Equally, I'm really excited because I'm going to go um, – I'm coming to Colorado in February – um, because it's a ski season, let's be honest, but also because <laughs> there's the Colorado Emergency Management Conference. And I'm um, super excited. Uh, first uh, emergency management foray into North America. So I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting people over there. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, we're available uh, on our website, situateme.com. We'll make sure that we put that information down into the show notes um, because I think it's important for you guys to go down and take a look at it. I played with it a little bit today, um, you, you know, with the bot, and it's it's kind of Kind of interesting for sure. Um, last question on this is how would you integrate this into your EOC? Because you said 24-7, but uh, if somebody says, like, talk to a human or whatever, how would, how, how would they really know they're speaking to a human compared to the bot? Yeah, so, so there's some key principles around um, bot design. You shouldn't try and fool people into thinking it's a human when it's not. So, yeah, it is the bot. Um, part of the decision tree, I mean, often if someone is in good shape and they're filling this in, um, then there's possibly no need to speak to someone. But when it triggers into something that's more of an acute case, um, yeah, the option to, to speak to someone. So we can integrate this. We're, um, we actually run on an AWS platform and we're reaching out to AWS around their disaster response program at the moment. And we can seamlessly integrate this with um, cloud-based contacts in a solution. So um, you can have uh, an agent... Um, take over the conversation and uh, and interact with the person, or um, we can capture information around a person's cell number or something, and we can do the callback. Um, the information that's coming in, though, um, you know, we capture that. We 
we have our own dashboards uh, for that situational awareness, but we also provide a feed uh, into the EOC. So you could have um, layers of uh, data on your on your map as well as you know kind of analysis. So your water and sanitation engineer can get all the water status, food people, shelter people, um, public safety, those kind of things. Um, and we're able to, to provide that where um, yeah, you've got quite mature EOCs, which I imagine you have in the US a lot more than we, we have over here in New Zealand. So, um, so yeah, so that people are able to harvest the information to make better decisions faster using those tools. And uh, we have the ability to hand over to live agents um, in the conversation flow as appropriate. If you could say one thing to all the emergency managers in the world at one time, what would it be? <laughs> um, it's a challenge. I, I challenge them to embrace technology. I think as a profession, we're often the laggards because we get concerned about the harm we may cause. And my challenge is to think about the harm you might already be doing by not embracing some of these new ways of working. Um, Citizens are very adept at using some of this new technology in their consumer lives these days, and we should be looking at that and going, how can we bring that into emergency management um, and not be afraid to try these things? Because, uh, yeah, we can do a lot of good with this stuff. Well, Rob, it was uh, great talking to you today. Uh, love to talk more Thanks about this, and uh, maybe I'll see you in Colorado. Sounds great. Hey, thanks very much for the opportunity. Really, really enjoy your podcast. Too. Thank you for listening to this episode of EM Weekly. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. And also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you're looking for more information and more emergency management type podcast, check out sitchradio.com because there's a full laundry list over there. See you next week.